How is everybody today? Can you say, it is well with my soul? I have, um, first of all, thank you, Brother Matt, for allowing me to come down here. I cannot tell you how much I always appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I always have to start with an update on my family because y'all have been so kind to take care of my family as well. My wife sent me a note this morning. Uh, Noah is not well. So if y'all would keep them in your prayers, he uh, overnight developed some sort of an infection and uh, she is keeping him home and monitoring him and hopefully uh, can avoid a hospital today. But uh, do please continue to pray for my family. Uh, many of you are aware that I will in, later this year uh, be taking a little trip overseas for, uh, for about a year. I uh, would appreciate you keeping my family in your prayers for that. The last time I was here, I believe I told y'all uh, that I was headed over with the uh, for a second of the 121st Infantry Battalion. It's not true. Uh, as the Army is wont to do, they have changed my orders and moved me back to the 1st of the 108th Cavalry Regiment. So I'll be going over with a recon unit and um, doing some fun stuff while we're there. So if y'all would keep my family in your prayers and keep me in your prayers while I'm away from my family, I would appreciate that as well. I am not 50 years old. I am in my 40s. I know not everybody here can say that, but I am in my 40s for a couple of more months. Um, in my 40-ish years, I have had occasion over the course of my life to listen to a lot of preachers, a lot of preachers, whether it is in seminary or whether it's in the churches that I grew up in or evangelists that came through or uh, while I was at chaplain school, I, I had the uh, mostly good experience of listening to 84 different chaplains preach over the course of a three-month period, uh, mostly good stuff. But I can only count during my 40-ish years two sermons out of the book of Exodus, two. The first was um, when I was in high school, I attended an independent fundamental Baptist church and I went to a youth camp. Uh, while I was away at youth camp, I was given a cassette tape from a guy named Dean Blakeney and he preached a sermon called One More Night with the Frogs. And it was about the Exodus, about the plagues that were put onto Egypt by the hand of God in order to get Israel out of Egypt. And we can read about that in chapters 3 forward in the book of Exodus. Uh, and it was, uh, the, the, the purpose of the sermon was Moses went to Pharaoh, there were frogs all over the land of Egypt. Moses said, hey, uh, Pharaoh, would you like me to entreat the Lord that he would get rid of the frogs? And Pharaoh said, eh, can you come back tomorrow? Maybe tomorrow you can ask God to get rid of this. And the, perp the, the idea behind it is we often in our lives say, I know I need to repent to God of this sin in my life, but well, I'll do that tomorrow. But tonight, I want to wallow with the frogs one more time. That was the first sermon, and, and I held on to that for years. I listened to that until I wore the cassette out. I listened to it every night before I went to bed for like two years. I joined the Navy, and I was listening to One More Night with the Frogs, which goes over really well when you're in the barracks. And then about uh, in September of 2013, I sent a note to your I, make sure, I have to make sure I say this right. Because I started, when I, when I was thinking about it this morning, I was going to say your lovely pastor's wife, but your pastor's not lovely. To your pastor's lovely wife, asking if 
y'all would be okay if I brought some soldiers over here on a Sunday morning to worship. We wouldn't have any shower, we would smell bad, uh, but there was a lot of bad things going on at that time with our unit here at Fort Stewart. I'd had uh, a soldier try to hang himself, we had had uh, several families that had dissolved into divorce, and, and the soldiers were looking for some hope. And I needed to get them away from the environment that they were in. So. Uh, Becky, in all of her grace, responded and said that my husband, the, and I'm quoting here, the Dr. Matt C. Brady, not Pastor Matt, the Dr. Matt C. Brady, would love for you to come. We start service at 10.30, so I, like a good Baptist, showed up at 11 with all of my soldiers in tow. And we sat back there on the back row, and y'all showed so much love to those soldiers that were hurting. Their lives were falling apart. Those are the only two. And he preached a sermon, that, by the way, that morning. I don't know if you remember it. It was about burying your Egyptian in the sand. About Moses, when he went out and he saw an Egyptian beating a uh, Hebrew, he killed the Egyptian and buried his body in the sand. And the premise was, don't hide your sin in the sand. Take it to God. Don't bury your, your Egyptian. Don't bury your sin in the sand. So back in February of this year, we had an experience in my family. If you follow us on Facebook, you may recall this. I had a drill. I got up on Sunday morning, and, and when I got up to leave, Rebecca was, uh, she was awake, and, and Noah, uh, Matthew had got up at about uh, 5 o'clock in the morning and come to wake us up and, and said that Noah was not doing very well, and we needed to go check on him. So we went to check on him, and Noah had a fever, that morning of about 103. I had duty. I had places that I needed to be for the Army. So I left. I left my wife there with my children. I came home at 5 o'clock that afternoon, uh, or a little bit after 5, and Noah's fever was 106. So we began to put, him, put ice on him, to cover him in ice, to do everything that we could. And we uh, told Rebecca to call the doctor and, and let's get the doctor on the phone and let's figure out what we need to do because something isn't right with our son. So we called the doctor and they said, yep, yeah, continue what you're doing, give him ibuprofen. Um, if, if things don't seem like they're getting better on later tonight, bring him down to Scottish Rite, downtown Atlanta. That was about 5.30. By 7.30, we took Noah's temperature, and it was 107.9. Now, I'm a, I'm a cool dude. Let me try that again. I'm a cool dude. Amen. All right, thank you. So, uh, and, and I'm, a, I'm a chaplain, so I'm expected to, this, you know, I have people tell me all the time, and I know they tell you, brother, well, this is normal for you, because you deal with this all the time. This was my son. So uh, I told Rebecca, go change clothes. Uh, let's call a friend of ours to have her come over and sit with Matthew. And we're going to take Noah to Scottish Rite right now. We're not going to wait. We're not going to call an ambulance because it will take them too long to get here. Uh, and I know how I drive, as do many policemen in the metro area. So um, Rebecca went to change clothes to get dressed to go down to the hospital. I 
uh, put Noah in his wheelchair, and then I heard the most horrible sound that I think I may have ever heard. I, I'll note, let me rephrase that. I've heard the sound one other time, and it was at a really bad time. And I went back into my bathroom, into our bathroom, and my wife was on the floor screaming, God, please don't take my son. Please, God, let me keep my son. She was broken, and, and I wrote down the words of this song a moment ago, pouring out my life, gracefully broken. Sometimes we don't see the grace in it. Our lives are just broken. So I, 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 I helped Rebecca put herself back together, and the whole while I'm doing this, I am chatting with a friend online who has a son. He lives down here at, uh, at Fort Stewart. His son is terminal. And we were, t we were talking back and forth. We were praying back and forth, really. Um, and I went out into the garage, and Matthew follows me out into the garage. And I turn around, and there's my 10-year-old son. And tears are flowing. And he says, Dad, how do I ask God not to take my brother? And that started me on a path. Sorry if I get a little watery out. Y'all have to deal with that, okay? That started me on a path that uh, I decided that every morning, after, and by the way, Noah, um, we got him to the hospital and uh, they were able to give some medicine and over the course of a little bit of time, they were able to bring his fever down and to control his fever and uh, Noah is, for Noah, Noah's okay. But I got to thinking about it. You see, in our churches, we sell Christ like this. Hi. I'm Brian. I would really love for you to come to church with me. We worship Jesus, and everything is so beautiful over here. Look at our beautiful building, and we worship Jesus, and oh, Jesus just blesses us so much. Would you come worship with us? But then I see things like we're about to read in Scripture, and I don't see that. I see, I see a God who is very real, very intimate with his people, and things don't always work out like we think they ought to. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn over with me to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to read the last three verses, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, I am, as I often do, I am reading out of the ESV today, and I chose the ESV specifically for the last verse, verse number 25 of Exodus chapter 2. The, uh, if you aren't familiar with the story of Exodus as you're turning there, um, how long were the, let me just ask this question. Somebody shout it out when you know it. How long were the Hebrews in Egypt? 430, 430-ish, right? Because there's some, give or take a few years, 430-ish years. So we say the Egyptians were enslaved for 430-ish years. That's kind of not really true. They were in Israel, they were in Egypt for 430-ish years. But they weren't in slavery for that long. You see, we read at the beginning of Exodus chapter 1 where it says, then a king arose who did not know Joseph. And if you'll recall, Joseph was sold into slavery. He went down into Egypt. He had the Pharaoh. He, the, the Bible, by the way, says God blessed Joseph and Joseph went to prison. Not a blessing I'm looking for, but that's what happened with Joseph. And he rose to become the number two man in all of Egypt. And he had Pharaoh set up storehouses so that when the famine came, they would have food to eat. 
His brothers heard about it, his whole family came down in, and they were given the choice land in Egypt. And from there, they exploded. They were successful in their land, they were successful in their livestock, in their families. In every way that you can imagine, the children of Israel were successful in Egypt. But before they went down in, Joseph said, hey, when y'all come back out, because God's going to bring you out, when you come back out, bring me with you. And Joseph was embalmed there, uh, and they brought him out when they left. Isaac said, I'm sorry, Jacob said, when you come back out, bring my bones with you, because God's going to bring you out. He has promised a land. So they knew they were going to come out at some point. But 400-ish years later, they're still there. Now, if I take the history of Israel, the children of Israel in Egypt, and I put that into American history, this is what we know. In 1620, the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. Then, in 1941, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. And now we're looking for a leader to rise up and to restore our our faith in Christ today. That's about what we know here. We don't know uh, what happened during the 400-ish years, but we know God blessed them. We know that they grew. We know they multiplied because Pharaoh said, there's too many of them, let's treat them harshly. Let's put them under our thumbs. And then Moses, as we talked about a moment ago, Moses buried his Egyptian in the sand. And then we read uh, right before we get to verse number 23, we read that it says in 21, and Moses was content to dwell with the man, with his father-in-law. Moses was content. Everything was great. Moses, the great man of God, He was content. And everything was beautiful. But then we get to verse number 23 again if you have your Bible. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel... And God knew. Almighty God, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you, Father, that you have given us your word that we can open and study and learn who you are and and how we can interact with you and, and we can learn how you care for us. And Lord, this morning, I pray that your word would not return void, Lord. I pray that you would touch our hearts, Lord, open them up, that we might learn and love you more before we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. So the children of Israel groaned out and cried because of their slavery. Their slavery had gotten so bad that here they are, God's chosen people, crying out to God. And God heard them. Scripture says, uh, God heard their cries heard their what? Say it with me. Heard their what? Cries. It doesn't say they all held hands and prayed in a British accent, oh, Father, please relieve us of these thine slaveries. 
It doesn't say that. God heard their cries because they were on their face broken, gracefully, saying, God, we don't know what to do. I was talking with Brother Matt before the service, and I don't forget how he said it because he is a far better preacher than me. Uh, He said, we are at our highest when we are at our lowest. When we are groaning before God, those are when our prayers are most effectual. And here we have the children of Israel crying. They weren't waiting on Sabbath school to write their prayer requests up on a board. No, they were broken, and they were on their face before God. And and I can hear the Hebrew men going, God, please, not my child. Please don't let them grow up like this. God, you've promised us, Lord, don't forget us. Lord, my wife works so hard. Please, God, relieve us of this burden. I can hear it. Because if I were them, that's what I would be praying. God, relieve us. God, remember us. God, work here. Now imagine that you're Moses. You're walking along. You see a bush that's not burning. And and interestingly, let me just flip over to read that because I love the way this happens. It says in in chapter 3, verse number 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush. Moses looked and beheld the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses, I love this part, I love the way this is written out. And Moses said, I will turn and consider this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Y'all, if I saw that, that is not what I would say. I'd be like, what? This is amazing. So God is talking to Moses here who had been content and God says, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. This guy was content. But you see, God had begun working 430-ish years previous so that when Moses arrived, he would raise up and be the number two guy. He would be the brother, if you will, of, of, of the new Pharaoh and he would have that access and he could go in and say, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. God had been active these entire 400 years. I want you to note that while Moses was content and while we pray to God, I pray pray to God every night, Lord, continue your grace and your mercy over my family. But an important note in all of this is that our state of content, how happy we are, that's not God's concern. That's not his biggest concern. Let me rephrase that. Because he could fix all of our problems immediately. And you know what we would do? We would walk away and go, yep, everything is good now. I'm good. I'm comfortable. I'm content. God's concern is with our spiritual well-being before him, not with how content we are in our lives. In fact, who knows what the Council of Nicaea was? If you're familiar with that, raise your hand. I figured a couple of people. The council, have you ever heard the song, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and Maker of earth, and in Jesus Christ is only. I'm sorry, y'all had to hear me sing. That is the Nicene Creed. It came out of this council of 318 men who got together in the fourth century to discuss Christ. And they came to the agreement that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, not a created being of God, which was one of the big things that they were tackling at that time. Would it surprise you to know that these pious men, 
who knew God, who came together to make sure that we all have the Christian faith in its purity. Would it surprise you to know that of the 318 of them, roughly 307 of them were either missing an eye, missing a hand, or they were, they were crippled because they had had their legs broken or otherwise cut off because of their faith in Christ. And as their cries went up before God, God, preserve Christ, preserve your Christ that others may know him. God brought them together and we have, I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ is only begotten. See, the beauty is that God hears us. We might not be called to be on the Nicene Council, we might not be called to be a really popular, super cool religious leader, church leader. We may not be called to be a pastor. We may not be called to serve as a deacon or to be a chaplain or to teach a Sunday school. We may not be called in any way. But if we are called by his name, if we have given our lives to Christ, then when we fall on our face with a spirit gracefully broken, he hears us and he hears me just as well as he hears Brother Matt, which is, blows my mind. And he hears Brother Matt just as well as he heard Billy Graham, which blows my mind. Because he paid for my life and for yours with his son. He hears us. In fact, in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, uh, we're told from John, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that is toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, then we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. John, John 11, 41 says again, when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, and uh, if you recall the story, he had been away, and uh, they came and said, hey, um, Lazarus is sick, and Jesus hung out for a couple of days. He didn't go heal him. He hung out for a couple of days, and he said to his disciples, it is better for you that I was not there so that you may believe. And then he shows up, and, and Mary comes running out, and she's crying at his feet, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus goes, and he stands before the tomb, and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me, but I'm so thankful that you have heard me so that they may believe. Now, there's a, there's a correlation here. God hears us, and many times others believe. Thank you, Lord, that you have heard me. Thank you in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my crushed spirit, you have heard me. But he doesn't just hear us. You see, uh, Scripture tells us right here in, in, in Exodus that God not only heard the Hebrews, but he remembered the covenant that he had made. Now, the first time I read that, and, and by the way, what I started to tell you a moment ago is, I wake up every morning now, and uh, I go sit in my garage, I make a really good cup of coffee that's really thick and I have to eat it with a spoon and I sit in my garage in a uh, in a nice camping fold-out chair raise my garage door and I kind of face it this way and I watch the sun come up over the pine trees while I'm studying the Bible reading the Bible and just talking to God and it has become the most valuable time of my day about a week ago by the way that little table that I set my stuff on collapsed and spent my quiet time cleaning up that really thick coffee. Uh, but I'm there, and I'm praying to God, and I get to this point, and God, what does this say again? And God remembered his covenant. Is God forgetful? 
So what does it mean when it says, and God remembered his covenant, his covenant that he had with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob? And if you're not familiar with the covenant that he had, what did, and this was, by the way, Brother Matt, what I said on my porch talking to my dad about it. I told him it's really cool. I'm almost 50, and yesterday, for the first time in my life, I sat and talked with my father about the Bible for about two or three hours, and my father said, the Abrahamic covenant, that's where God said, I will make of thee a great nation. And I was like, what? This is my dad. That's cool. And that was the covenant. I will give you a land and I will make of you a great nation. So God remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham and then he confirmed it with Isaac and with Jacob. So what does it mean when it says God remembered? Because he's uses, that's, that's used elsewhere in the Bible. In Genesis 8.1 it says God remembered Noah and all the cattle and the beasts. And they've been floating on the water for quite a while. And then God remembered him. And it's not like the, the image isn't that God was busy doing something else and went, ah, i got to get back to Noah, and came and took care of whatever it was. When we read in Scripture, and God remembered, another way to say that is stand back because God is about to do something really amazing. So, and God remembered and God was about to do something really amazing because of what he had promised Abraham and Jacob and Isaac or Isaac and Jacob we read that all the way over even into Revelation and God remembered the sins of the Babylonians and they're they're gonna pay in Revelation when God remembers things happen God remembered Abraham and he sent Lot out in Genesis 19. God remembered Rachel and gave her a son named Joseph in Genesis 30, 22. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob that he was going to give them a promised land. The people may have forgotten over 400 years, but God did not. And God, we're told in Scripture, is not slack concerning his promises. God had promised three guys who were long since dead that he was going to give their descendants a land. And when God promises something, guess what? It's going to happen. So here we have the children of Israel. They are groaning out before God. And God remembered his promises. In the same way, when you and I groan before God in our hurts and our pains, and God remembers his promise through Jesus Christ that he will not forget us. What's this? Can somebody tell me what this is? The wedding ring. Back in the early New Testament times when the scriptures were being written, when Paul's letters were being written, we are told that God gave us the Holy Spirit as a, uh, some of you may be familiar with the passage, as an earnest deposit. The word used in that is he gave us the Holy Spirit in much the same way that I gave my wife an engagement ring. If I didn't marry her, she gets to keep that ring. God remembers us. He hasn't forgotten his promise to come back for us. And if he did, he has left himself here with us through the Holy Spirit. That's pretty awesome stuff. We're never alone. He remembers us always. When we are at our most broken, he remembers us. Not only does he remember us, but he sees us. It says in, in Scripture, and God saw the people of Israel. He saw how they were hurting. He saw how they were under bondage. When I was a kid, my mom used to, uh, she liked to 
drink certain beverages and smoke cigarettes and talk on the phone. That was, my, that was what she loved to do. But this was back in the late 70s, early 80s, and there were no cordless phones, no cell phones. So we would do, and I know some of y'all probably remember this, we had a, 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 uh, a corded phone, and I guarantee you it would stretch all the way out of your building. It was that long. And we would limbo through our house just to get past wherever that cord was going around the things. My mother would, she would pick up the phone, and it was a, uh, eventually it was a touchstone phone, so she could beep, boop, beep, 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 and call whoever it is. And she would call them, she would light her cigarette and get her drink, and she would walk out uh, around, out of the kitchen, through the dining room, through the sliding glass door, out onto the deck, to the opposite edge of the deck, where she could sit right and lean up against the porch railing of our deck, which was up on the second and she could talk on her phone while she smoked her cigarette and drank a drink. I was Evil Knievel. Or whoever else said I decided to be at the time. We had a, we had a, we had a, we had a, we had, we had a ditch in our backyard and take a bicycle and I would jump that ditch. And I made it sometimes. Sometimes. Or I would, um, I would slide in a, those plastic swimming pools, I would get one of those and set it at the top of the hill and I would slide down in it and I would be uh, some great whitewater, I don't know if any of you remember the TV show Land of the Lost from Sid and Marty Croft way back when, Marshall, Will and Holly and they were on this thing and then they went down, that was me, I was going into the Land of the Lost in my little swimming pool and right before I did anything I would say, hey mom, watch this. My mother would always, my mother would always go, uh-huh, so anyway, and she would go on with the conversation. She never saw anything that I did. But you know what we have in Scripture? We're told that we have a God that when we say, hey, God, he says, I'm seeing everything. I'm watching. I'm paying attention. I know what's going on in your life. I know the good. I know the bad. I know where you hurt. I know everything happening with you. That's a beautiful thing. I never have to worry about whether he turns his back when I am hurting. I never have to worry about whether he knows when I'm grateful. I don't have to worry because he does. For the Hebrew children, as they cried out to God, how amazing would it be to them to know that God didn't look away and say, uh-huh, that's nice. Um, I'll, I'll get to y'all later. He saw everything. Exodus 3, 7 tells us that the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, of my people. What a beautiful thing. I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry. He sees us. We're not alone. He remembered us. He remembered Israel. And he was about to do some next level stuff. And for all of this, for hearing, for remembering, and for seeing, the beauty of it all is those last three words. And God knew. And God knew. He knew everything that they were experiencing. He understood what they were going through. He heard their cries. Nothing was hidden. And God acted on that. To the Hebrew, crying out to God, God, please relieve us from this slavery. He knew what they were saying. And hear me when I say that to the Christian crying out for God for the hurt in your life, he hears you, he knows. And he says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. 
We have a beautiful, beautiful joy and a place to turn because he knows it is all true today. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 says that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That is Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, God hears you, God remembers you, God sees you, and God knows you. And that is beautiful. Even Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows how to give that which is good to you. See, there is, I believe, a difference when we gather together for prayer and we say things like, because y'all may not do it here, we say things like in Sunday school, y'all pray for my neighbor, they've been hitting the bottle again, and bless the Lord, somebody needs to go tell them about Jesus. We use it many times, if you'll allow me, as a way to tell on what other people are doing. But when we pour out our life, gracefully broken. God says, I hear you. We were talking Horatio Spafford. We were talking about him. The song that we sang a moment ago, It Is Well With My Soul. That's a good old song, isn't it? It's like really old. That's like 500 years old. Not that old. Do y'all know where that song came from? I was trying to remember, and I'm probably going to get some of the details wrong because he looked it up in red. I was busy worshiping. If this were in the army, right about this point, I would get down and start doing push-ups. We looked it up, and and what happened back in the 1800s, I think it was in the 1800s, there was a great fire in Chicago. Horatio Spafford lost his entire business in the great fire of Chicago. But he had an opportunity to go to England and to restart a business and to reestablish his family. He had a son, I believe, that died of pneumonia before they left. So he sent his wife and his daughter on the ship over to England, and he was going to follow once he had all of their affairs wrapped up in Chicago. On the ship's voyage across the ocean, I believe the ship sank, and they were all lost. He lost his entire family. But still he went to England. And that verse that we sang a moment ago, when sorrows like sea billows roll, he wrote those words as the ship he's in is sailing over the spot where his wife and his daughter perished. It is well with my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll, it is well with my soul. So I'm going to be honest with you. How much do y'all have a clock? Good, I've got a few minutes. I'll be honest with you and tell you that that's not always me. Sometimes I hurt beyond what I think God can handle. It's not true. It's just what I believe. When I found my wife crying in the floor and my son asked me, Dad, 
How do I get God to not take my brother? I didn't have an answer. I didn't know what to tell him because all I know is that if we cry out and groan before God, he will hear us. There is nothing in scripture that says, and he will make everything better. And that's the part I struggle with. The Hebrews, God heard, God remembered, and then uh, y'all give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. God heard, God remembered, and immediately everything got better. Yay? Yeah. No. No, not so much. In fact, I think we could say, and immediately everything got worse. We're told in Scripture that they, they doubled the amount of work that they had to do as slaves. Because if they have time to go worship, they, got, they have time to do more work. So things got worse for them. And each time God did something, things got worse for them. But imagine you're one of the Hebrews and you hear on that Passover night the cries that go up from across Egypt when the firstborn of every Egyptian household is killed. You hear that cry go up and then the next day you walk out of Egypt with all of the riches that you can carry. Has God heard you at that point? I think so. But things still aren't easy. You will recall as they wandered in the desert for a long time. Some might say that a second lieutenant with a compass was trying to get them to the promised land and that doesn't work well. Um, as they're walking through, they began to grumble. Ah, if you'd have just left us there in Egypt, we'd at least have some food to eat while we were working so hard. Or we'd at least have something to drink while we're working so hard. God hears us. God takes care of us. God will heal our hurts. But in this life, hear me when I say there is no guarantee that everything gets better. What we have is a guarantee that when I place my life into the hands of Christ with no other hope, when I put my life into the palm of his hand, he says, I've got you. And then Jesus says, I'm in my father's hand. Actually, what Jesus says is nobody can take you out of my hand. I will not lose, here's a covenant, I will not lose one of you who are given to me. I will not lose one of you. I am in my Father's hand, and nobody can take me out of my Father's hand. Now there is a promise. As we were talking this morning, all things work together for good to them that love God. And they do. Because a little while later, we learn that nothing that we go through here will compare to the riches that he will show us in glory. Look, I don't know, I really don't. I can tell you that about a month ago when I read this passage, I knew unquestionably that somebody would call and ask me to come preach sometime soon because it set on me that heavy. And it may, y'all, it might've set on me that heavy for me but I look around and everywhere I look, I see Christians hurting. We're hurting and we still try to put that smile on and pretend that everything is okay. And I have soldiers who come up to me and, and they will say, hey chaplain, and when nobody's looking, they will say, my daughter has leukemia and I don't know what to do, chaplain, can you pray for me? Or they'll say, chaplain, I don't know what to do, my wife, my wife is having an affair. Or you know what they'll say, chaplain? I'm having an affair and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of that. The answer in every one of those is to turn 
to Christ and cast ourselves on him and let our lives be poured out as they are gracefully broken and turned to his glory. That is the answer. What I want to invite you to do is to remember that Jesus suffered with us. He became flesh. He didn't look down and say, okay, I'm going to provide a salvation for you. He came and provided the salvation himself by going through that, by suffering like we would suffer. In fact, you recall in Scripture, Jesus groans and cries out before God, Father, if you would be willing, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that is my prayer for us today. Let us pour our hearts and our lives out before God. And Lord, the, the things that are hurting Brian, Father, I would say, Lord God, I don't want to leave my family. I don't want, I cry at the thought of leaving my family. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. My wife, cries because she often feels nobody sees her because they're afraid of our son. And, and that's sometimes true. She cries out, God, help me. Where do I go? What do I do? Lord, hear me. I don't know how to do this. And the Lord brings people not to make her life easier, but to hold her hand as she walks down that road. Whatever you're going through, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, everything can be great. It doesn't matter. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. What I'll ask you to do is to bow your heads with me, please. A clay pot that's sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the heat of the furnace in order to become porcelain. Oswald Chambers says that uh, God intends me, God, we say that God intends me to be here because I am so useful, and I said that once or twice about the chaplaincy, but Jesus never estimated his life along the line of the greatest use. God puts his saints where they will glorify him most, and we are no judges at all of where that is. If you're hurting this morning, pour it out before God. Let your groans, your cries come up before the Lord that he will hear you, he will remember you, he will see you, and he will know if you do not know Christ, if you are in a spot in your life where you say, you know what, I, I have simply I have never come to the point of understanding why Jesus even came here. He came here for you. And you are invited this morning to cry out to him for salvation and he will hear you, he will see you, he will remember you, and he will know you. Almighty God, as we bow our heads this morning, Lord, I, I know I hurt, Father. I know my heart is broken. God, I don't understand the things that happen in this world. I don't understand how this nation that I love can so quickly turn away from you in so many ways. Lord, I don't understand how people that I love can walk away. God, I don't understand how people that I love can be called home and it be to your glory. But Father, this morning, Lord, I want to tell you that I love you, God, and my heart hurts and I pour it out to you and I pray that even now your spirit would minister to my heart, Lord, that you, that that promised Holy Spirit would minister and comfort those hearts in this room, Lord. That as you remembered us, we will remember you. 
and share your love with those around us. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for never forgetting me. Thank you for never forgetting Eastside Baptist Church. Bless this place now in the name of Jesus. Amen. I do want to invite you to come pray if you would like.